This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Kids, if you are going to class, you are dismissed. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. We're going to continue our study in 1 Peter. This morning, if you want to start heading there in your Bibles, if you have watched any sports news for the past couple of years, you know that one of the big discussions has been who's the basketball goat. Now, for those of you who are looking at me like you didn't know that goats play basketball, that's not what I mean. Goat is an acronym for greatest of all time. And, and in the realm of, of basketball, in, the, in that debate, it has been whether or not LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. Now, using that, I knew, I knew someone... Thank you, Marvin, for being that one. Thank you, Brian, for being quiet. Okay. <laughs> Using that simply as an example. My question is what determines whether or not someone is good at what they do. Not just in sports, but what determines whether a president or a teacher or anyone is, is good at what they do. And, and of course, it's not just one thing. There are multiple things, but definitely one of the primary ways that, that determines whether or not someone is good at what they do is how they perform in adversity. Michael Jordan isn't the GOAT just because he scored a lot of points or because of stats. Michael Jordan is the GOAT because of how he did that under extreme adversity. And the same is true for anyone else. Abraham Lincoln or George Washington, their, their presidencies weren't considered a success because of how they acted when everything went right. They're considered good presidents because of how they acted under incredible adversity. So let me ask you this, what made you who you are today? Was it all the things that went exactly as planned that made you who you are today? Or was it the adversities and the trials that you've endured that have molded and, and tempered you into who you are today? And the answer is, of course, the latter. Trials reveal who we are. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. This morning, Peter's going to just crack the door on one of the main themes of this letter that he wrote, which is trials and suffering. In, in this letter alone, Peter uses that word trial or suffering 21 times. So what I want you to see this morning is this. 
Trials reveal the genuineness of our faith in a Savior we cannot see. That's what I want to walk through this morning, and it's what I want you to walk out of here this morning, is that trials reveal the genuineness of our faith in a Savior we cannot see. Let's read our passage this morning, and then we'll pray. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are coming to you this morning Some of us entering trials, some of us in the middle of trials, some of us having just come out of trials, some of us are in trials and we don't even know it. Father, as, as we come to you as your people, my prayer is that through your word, you would speak to our hearts and open our eyes to your glory to your majesty, to your power, to your holiness. Everything we need to see in order to understand your work in our lives through these uncomfortable times. Father, we know that your word says that you work all for the good of those who love you. And we know that is because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and so it is in His name that we pray. Amen. So the way we're going to work through this test is simply by just walking through that statement that I made. First, we're going to look at trials, see what those are. Second, we're going to look at how they reveal the genuineness of our faith. And then we're going to look at, at how they reveal the genuineness of our faith in a Savior that we cannot see. So look again at verse 6. Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, when Peter says, in this you rejoice, he's not talking about the various trials. He's referring back to the salvation we looked at last week. He's saying we rejoice in the living hope that God has caused and is keeping for us. That's why we rejoice in verse 6. But he says, in this you rejoice, though... For a little while you are grieved by various trials. So the rejoicing and the grieving are simultaneous. It's important to understand. The Christian life is not a life of either joy or grief. It is oftentimes both and. Now what kind of trials have you faced? That can be a complicated question for American Christians, can't it? Because many Christians question whether or not their trials are legitimate. I mean, you're not being burned at the stake 
or put in prison for years on end because of your faith. So is Peter only talking to real Christians? And we just need to stop whining about our first, our first world problems? It's a legitimate question we need to answer because it's, it's essential to understanding what, what Peter means by various trials. And it's essential to determining whether this letter has anything to do with us. So which is it? Well, I want to start by looking at how Peter defines trials. And let's start with an obvious one. Flip to your right a couple of pages to chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. In verse 12, where Peter is going to define a specific trial. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So what is that fiery trial? He says in verse 14, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, don't suffer for your own sin. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. He says, don't suffer if you're a murderer or a thief. That's not suffering. He says, verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Have you ever been insulted for the name of Christ? Obviously, we get that one. We get the idea of being insulted for the name of Christ. But Peter says various trials. So flip back one page, or maybe no pages, to chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 12. In chapter 2, verse 12. And I want, to, I want you to see where some of those insults might come from. Look what he says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that's another way to say insult you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's calling us to keep our conduct pure, even though it might cause us to, to, to be spoken against or, or insulted. So what does that conduct look like that may cause the trial of insults? We'll look at verse 13. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Or in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Or look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives." See, wives, you were right all along. Submission is a trial. Especially for those of you who might be married to an unbeliever. Think of it this way. Have you suffered at all in the past several months because you have been submitting to your government? Has that been a trial for anyone? Or your boss at work? Or your husband? I know what Shannon's answer would be. I mean, she's had it pretty easy with me, but she's been upset about the whole government thing. 
The point is the Bible calls it a trial anytime you are spoken against for living honorable lives. Let's broaden our scope, though, and look at, at some other kinds of trials in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is defining what constitutes idolatry. The Corinthians were struggling with whether or not eating food to, to idols was idolatry. And Paul, after he explains that, no, you can eat food offered to idols, that's not idolatry, he still wants to give them the reminder that they still need to be aware of idolatry, that there, there, there is still a, a pull toward idolatry. And so he uses the examples of the Israelites in the wilderness. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7, he says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. In other words, God Almighty was right in front of them on top of the mountain in the wilderness, or He was right in front of them in the pillar of fire or smoke that led them through the wilderness, and they just kind of lived their lives and partied like they wanted to, even though they're looking at God's presence in real time. But look what he says just following that, in beginning in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, Now these things happened to them as an example. They were written down for our instruction, he says. In verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now listen to what he says. No temptation, that's the same word, no trial, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted or tried beyond your ability. But with the temptation or trial, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what I want you to see is that the Bible says that the difficulty we face for resisting idolatry is called a trial. You may have heard the story of a missionary named Adrian Rogers. Not the quarterback, he's a missionary. He was imprisoned for smuggling Bibles for many years. He ended up spending several of those years in isolation because he wouldn't quit evangelizing in the prison. However, he said that those were the best years of prayer that he ever experienced. The problem was, was that when he was released and he got back to America... He was, he was completely overwhelmed by everything that our culture throws at you, what you can have, what you can get, what you need, all of the idolatry. And speaking of this, he said that at times he wished he would have been back in jail because it was easier for him. There was less temptation. Have you experienced adversity because you denied an idol? The Bible calls that a trial. Maybe you gave something up, but probably more than likely God ripped it out of your hands. Either way, the Bible calls the adversity we face when resisting idolatry a trial. How about another one in Galatians chapter 4 where Paul is commending the Galatians for how they took care of him uh, when he got there to Galatia and he was not doing so well. He had, Physically, he had been beat up, which is, we don't know exactly, but it's often kind of a thing with Paul. He said in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, he says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. 
And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So have you ever faced difficulty or adversity because you took care of someone who needed help? Maybe you let someone live with you for some reason. And they needed a lot of your time and your, ten- your attention and your patience. Maybe they were sick or injured or even just aging. And you had to give a lot to them because they couldn't take care of themselves. If you're a parent, you should be saying, yep, I know exactly what that is. Paul says giving yourself to others like that is a trial. I want to look at one more. In Hebrews chapter 3, speaking about Israel in the wilderness again, in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, the writer says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing. Same word. As in the day of trying in the wilderness. God allowed Israel to wander around in the desert with nothing to rely on but Him. Dave Helm says of this testing, he says, quote, They were wanderers, sojourners, exiles, if you will. People trying to make their way in this world. As such, they were marked by a lack of position, power, and provision. They were without human protection and awoke every day to the reality that their life lacked permanence of any kind. Have you experienced something like that? A time of adversity because maybe your life lacked permanence or position or power. What I want you to see is that in a very real, black and white, biblical way, it's not just missionaries in third world countries that that face legitimate trials. Everybody experiences various trials. You have experienced various trials. It's like It's like when Forrest Gump said, it's like a box of chocolates, except for this is like one of those assorted boxes of chocolates, and you bit into the orange marmalade one, and you wish you were a kid again so you could spit it out on the tablecloth and put it back in the box. The question is not if you have experienced trials. The question is when and what kind. Trials reveal the genuineness of our faith in a Savior we cannot see. So with that as a basis, understanding that we all experience trials, let's look at the next part, that these trials reveal our faith. Look at 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some trials or tests in this life you may be able to cheat. Maybe Steve experienced this being a mathematician. I don't know if you heard the story about the young man who was in a calculus class with hundreds and hundreds of students and and, and he had a problem because his grade wasn't good and he really needed to get get a good grade on the final except for he had terrible test anxiety. 
And the problem was is that during the tests, the professor would stand up front, and every five minutes, he would announce how much time was left in the test. And it terrified this kid. And so he came up with a plan, and sure enough, they had the test, and sure enough, the professor, you know, 50 minutes left, 45 minutes left, 40 minutes left. Honey, time's up, turn in your tests. But this kid just sat there and kept taking the test. An hour later, he finally finishes and approaches the professor, um, having barely gone through maybe a few of these tests yet, the stack of tests on his desk, and he goes to turn in. The professor says, what are you doing? The test was over an hour ago. The guy says, the kid says, I have one question for you. Do you know my name? The professor says, of course I don't know your name. I have hundreds of people in this class alone. So the kid took his test, slipped it into the middle of the pile real quick, and walked off. <laughs> you can cheat some tests. But you can't cheat trials and suffering. They are a test that will always reveal something. And Peter's saying something important about that revelation that we need to grasp. Remember last week we saw that God caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter says it's that hope that we rejoice and believe in, even though we experience these various trials. But really look close at what Peter says about that faith. The various trials are not generating the faith. They are not causing the faith. They are not creating the faith. They are not even growing the faith. You can't, treat, you can't cheat trials and suffering because Peter says they are only revealing the faith that's already there. Just like gold, and he says like it's, it's, it's burned in the fire, it's, it's smelted. The gold is already there. The fire is not creating gold. It's just revealing the gold that already exists. Trials are revealing what God has already done. Listen, you and I don't even know how much God has done. Trials are revealing to us as much as they are to the world, the faith that God has done. That should be an incredible encouragement to you and I. Because if this faith was our own, if this faith was generated by me, if this faith was something that could be broken or lost or, or damaged with trials, then it's as weak and as pitiful and as fickle as I am. But the living hope to which God has caused us to be born again is not some simple, weak, fragile faith that can be undone by our weakness when things go sideways. No, just like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, he prayed that our hearts may be enlightened to the hope to which he has called us, to the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that, past tense, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. These various trials, your loss of jobs, your, your loss of time, ridicule, persecution, suffering, pain, heartache, even death, all of these various trials are powerless to do anything to Christians 
except reveal the majesty and the power and the glory of the work that God has already done in you through Jesus Christ. Do you feel thin this morning? Like too little butter scraped over too much bread, as Bilbo would say. Listen to me, brothers or sisters, you're right where God wants you to be. Because he gets to do something he loves to do. He gets to reveal to you how strong your faith already is. Even if you don't know it. Because he caused it, not you. He wants us to see how strong what he caused is. Peter is saying, take heart, saints. Be encouraged, you children of God. These trials of various kinds are not some cosmic accident. God is simply allowing the incredible work he has already done in our lives to be revealed. Do you need to hear that this morning? Do you need to hear that what you're going through is not pointless? It's not. Through the trials in your life, God is telling you and this world, look, my people have something more, something strong, something eternal, something imperishable that cannot be shaken or ruined or taken. He is revealing the grandeur and the glory and the genuineness of what he's done in you through Jesus Christ. Or maybe you need to hear this morning that there is a God who would do this for you. That the pain and the heartache and the, the, the suffering in your life does not have to be pointless. It doesn't have to be futility. There is a God who would cause you to be born again to a living hope that is only proven stronger through the trials that He empowers you to endure. Trials reveal our faith. But most importantly, trials reveal the genuineness of our faith in a Savior we cannot see. Look at verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, before we get into what he's talking about, I want to, to make a, a, a definition here so that we understand where he's going. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Now think about that for a minute. What is the outcome of your faith? Roll that around for a minute. Let's see if we can get there. In the Gospel of John, Thomas didn't believe Jesus had risen from the dead. He wasn't there when the disciples saw him after he had been risen from the dead. And he didn't believe them when they, when they came and told him. But, but Jesus came and, and said, Thomas, come here. Touch the wounds in my hands and in my side. And, and then Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And then in John chapter 20, verse 29, looking past Thomas directly into the eyes of you and I this morning, Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me, 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. If you have not seen Jesus, which is every person in this room, you're blessed if you believe. Trials reveal the genuineness of our faith through your love and joy and glory in a Savior you cannot see. God is proving through various trials exactly what Jesus said. He's proving how blessed you are. Even though you, you, you have experienced various trials, do you love Him? Even though you have experienced adversity, do you still believe in Him? Even though this world would try to take everything from you, do you have an inexpressible joy that is filled with the glory of the Lord? Then according to the words of Jesus Christ, you are blessed. What does that mean? Because I sure don't feel blessed when I'm in a trial. This is what I want you, I hope you walk out of here with this morning. I hope it rocks your world, and I hope it changes the way that you look at these trials. I want you to think about the implications of what Peter is saying. What is the outcome of your faith? It is being stripped of sin and being in heaven Praising and glorifying God with everything you have for eternity. All throughout Revelation, we hear about the multitude standing before the throne, praising God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. This is the outcome, this is the, the, the ultimate of your faith. I want you to think about what Peter is saying when he says, even though you don't see him, you still love him. Even though you don't see him, you still glorify him. Even though you don't see him, you still believe in him. Through you, through the tested genuineness of your faith, God is revealing the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. As our love for the things of this world are stripped away, when the world sees a mountain of reasons that we should give up on God, as the evidence mounts that there is something wrong with this world, you have been granted the gift, you might say blessed, with displaying how wonderful and glorious and desirable Jesus is when you still love Him, even though you can't see Him. The genuineness of your faith through the midst of these trials in spite of his physical absence, absence, reveals a Savior who is so incredible, who's so wonderful, who is so glorious, that you still love and rejoice in him, even though you can't see him. Peter is saying to you right here this morning to have courage. You are walking testimonies to the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And I want to say this differently so you can comprehend the magnitude of what Peter is saying here. Listen, God doesn't feel the need to have Christ physically visible here on earth 
in order for him to be glorified appropriately. God is satisfied with the amount of glory that Christ receives when our faith in Him is proved genuine in His absence and not His presence. Let me close with this. The worth of Christ, the hope of Christ, the perfection of Christ, the joy of Christ, the glory of Christ, the majesty of Christ, the beauty of Christ, and the splendor of Christ is displayed to the world when trials reveal the genuineness of your faith in a Savior you cannot see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I still struggle to comprehend the depth of what you have given us through Christ. I feel, and I know everyone in here feels incompetent, unable, unqualified to display the glory of Christ. We feel so often that our faith is lacking that we are weak. So, Father, I pray that through Your Word, through the power of Your Spirit working in our lives, that You would show us and encourage us because of the work that You have already done in our hearts through Jesus Christ, that You are revealing what's already there. Father, I pray that you would make that a a hope for us, a goal, a point to, to strive for, to want to reveal Him. I pray, Lord, that you would show us that trials are an opportunity for the genuineness of our faith to be revealed for the glory of our Savior to be seen. Father, it is in His name that we pray because it is in Him and only in Him that we have You. Because we have You, we have all things. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh? Unto the shore, the rock of Christ. O sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. O sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess. Christ our hope in life and death. Please stand with me and let's sing this to our Savior.